We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. TickPick should be your first choice to buy basketball tickets because they save fans money by never charging any service fees, ever. TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner for the Laker Film Room Podcast and Blue Wire Network. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And guys, last night was a wild ride in what's uh, beginning to be a wild ride of a season. I think it's going to continue that way. Several things about that game were just were crazy. There, Jalen Green's shot making was remarkable. That call by the referees at the end—I've never seen that. Where two points get taken away in the manner that they did. LeBron goes off. The Lakers score seventy-eight points in the paint, which is the season high for any team in the NBA. It was an electric game, D. And there were some environmental factors going into that, where that was probably a tougher game than it probably appeared on its surface. Um, and there are lots of takeaways, some some good and some bad. What did you see last night? Just Relative to this specific matchup with the Rockets, I think Mike did a really good job of hitting on this in one of his sideline hits during the game where he mentioned that you play the same team, basically like back-to-back games, same environment where it's not a home-and-home, like both games were at Staples Center. You're very likely to see different games, totally different games sometimes from one night to, to the next in In the first game on Sunday, neither team could buy a basket. And I think some of that was defense, but some of it was just, hey, one of those off nights when it comes to shooting. And I think Vogel did comment that he was impressed with the Lakers defense. They got a lot of deflections. They forced a lot of turnovers. And there was something to that, but Houston's also a sloppy team. And so yada, Mm -hmm. yada, yada, right? Next game, though, totally inverse. Both team Houston comes out firing away just like last game, but now they're all going in. And the Lakers are just like, hey, you know what? We're going to the basket and we're making everything too. I, I think in the first four or five minutes, it was like both teams were shooting like 80% from the field. Yeah. Like 
both teams had only missed once. And it's sort of like we're in for an all-star game environment yeah, and what, here. What was funny was at least the first part of the game, we certainly let go of the rope defensively as the game went on. But the first part of the game, I thought our defense was fine. It was like, you're contesting, you've got a good closeout and this guy hits a 28 footer. Like that's going to happen in the NBA. Yeah. And so Mike, night to night, I feel like we've watched a ton of NBA, right? Night, night to night when you just beat this same team. And this happens during the regular season, too, even before this sort of like, oh, we're going to face the same team multiple times, like in back to back games. But you might see a team one week on a Tuesday and then next week you see them on on a Wednesday. And that muscle memory of what you did the last game is sort of there for you. And I felt like the Lakers were sort of like, ah, if we would have made some shots the last game, we would have we would have beat that team by 50. So we're going to come in and we're going to do enough to try to win the game. And Houston, I thought, to their credit, played hard. They hit shots. And it sort of made for a more competitive game than what you might have expected based off of the quality of both teams. But I also think it was sort of like, well, the Lakers sort of saw that they had some things going and they attuned their effort to the idea of what they envisioned that game being. And in the end, they they held on. But I'm more looking for like big picture ideas about this team, more so than like takeaways from like, oh, the Lakers defense is in trouble again, even though it could be. But like there's other things about this game where I just thought this was like a classic NBA. If you go around the league, you see this stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you nailed on the key points there, because when this is the point in some respects of having a lot of veterans on the team, in that they know that Houston's going to play a little differently and a little bit more aggressively. And so they're going to try to manage their way through handling that and not letting it get out of hand, which I thought they did just fine. And the way that they did that was by attacking uh, the crap out of the rim all night and getting 78 paint points. Now, part of that is also just because Houston is not a good defensive team in or out. And Daniel Tice was out. And the rookie, um, Alperin Shengun, was in the middle. And so LeBron had those big eyes, right, when he when he was looking at it. And he obviously eventually starts to be really aggressive in the fourth quarter. For the defense, though, I did think that we saw in OKC that they didn't really have the ability to turn the faucet off. There's a couple of different reasons for that. But in this one, at least they did that. Like in the third quarter, they held the Rockets in 19 points. And... They're, they very easily could have said, we're going to keep scoring and like, we're going to just, that, we're just going to do it, try to do it that way. Cause they were scoring so easily, but I was, I do think maybe Avery Bradley helps a little bit um, in, in that sense. And LeBron engaging on the back line and Pete, what Frank Vogel keeps talking about defensively is that they're, they're back line guys. Like they're the, the ones that are supposed to rotate over and protect are still not doing the job that eventually needs to get done. The, the low man habits, I guess, is what he's saying, right? So Yes, uh, low man. Yeah. Low, so the low man habits, which are such a key part of the scheme, have been here and there, not consistent. And when when the Lakers are really humming, right, it's like they're locked in on the perimeter and the low man habits are coming. So that's getting into the weeds a little bit. But the point was they just needed to get a win. Give Houston credit for making a bunch of shots. Like Jalen Green barely hit a shot the previous game. He couldn't miss fadeaway threes in the first quarter. So it's like, all right, good job. but we're going to find a way to actually get the win. And that's, what's important. And the only other thing I, I should mention is I, I just like, I like where Westbrook is going the last couple of games um, as a general thing that we could get into. I don't think it's coincidence that we're scoring a lot of points in the paint and 
in us going small. Now, we are playing the Houston Rockets. I totally get that. But we've played some other bad teams this year, too. And there's just room to operate in there. And we've got so many guys that are, especially our best players, that are exceptional but when you start seeing Russ dancing, right, as he's bringing the ball up court, he had that great play to DJ. And I actually think I think DJ's best spot is, I think, I don't know, maybe there's a DJ Dwight. That's another conversation for a different time. I know people are very low on DJ, and I'm certainly not high on him either, but Dwight has not played particularly well. Russ and DJ, Darius, have had, I think, better chemistry together than Russ and Dwight. Dwight only has two dunks over the course of six games, and he's rolling so slowly when, you know, going to the basket. DJ is very frustrating to watch on defense, and ultimately that's what we need more of, most certainly. But I do think that the Russ and DJ combo like there's that play with where he did the sham god into the drop off like you're seeing some productivity there there's so many places we can go and zero in on but that's something that I, i've i've noticed right is that that there is a little more chemistry between those two than between russ and dwight there definitely is because deandre has been a much better finisher this season and russ is russ has a way of helping finishing bigs play to their best offensively like he did that with Daniel Gafford last season and he's done that with Steven Adams over the course of his career like just sort of setting these big guys up for opportunities to finish around the basket and if you're going to struggle to finish around the basket as Dwight sort of has then yeah the the offensive chemistry is going to be there but Dwight's been a much better defensive player than DeAndre. Like they both have limitations in terms of getting out to the perimeter, but Dwight's such a, he's much more active in his drop and with his hands than DeAndre is. And that's super important for what the Lakers want to do defensively. And Dwight's ahead of DeAndre also in like scheme understanding and recognition. Like Dwight's a former defensive player of the year. Like, multiple times those those instincts are still there for him and he still prides himself on playing strong strong defense now does that come with some antics and some other stuff it does are there limitations with Dwight there are and so I don't want to make him out to be a perfect player because he's far from that especially defensively too but like there may be a conundrum there's probably a different pod I'd love to see Give me a couple games where DeAndre's out and Dwight gets all of those minutes as well. And it's sort of just like, let me see how that works, too. And then we could probably have a more thorough conversation about that part of things. Yeah, I do think in a perfect world, you start to view Dwight and DeAndre a little bit in the way that they're viewing Rondo right now, where he doesn't have to play every night and a lot, and he's totally fine with it. I don't think I don't think we're there yet, though, because I think Rondo went into the season with that expectation. And I think that, you know, Dwight and DJ still would like to envision a regular uh, spot. But, you know, DJ was just fine coming off the bench in this case, played just just about the same. So, OK, that's good to know. Dwight, we'll see when he comes back. But maybe this is a like Vogel did hint before the game that they want to get back to big lineups at some point. So I think people just need to caution themselves thinking, oh, okay, this just means the Lakers are going small for the rest of the year and manage expectations there. But I do think that the data has been has been good enough. And Westbrook has played better. Right. And A.D. has played better overall. Like, I think that it's clear that Vogel knows that. 
they just he's still thinking about the whole season. And I was I was going to try to kick back to Westbrook so we didn't have to get into the whole big discussion thing. It just seems it's impossible not to mention it when we're talking about Dwight and DJ. Because they're related, right? And I, I don't yeah. want to get into it again. Anyway, go, go ahead, Dee. No, Mike, I was going to say, you know who's been playing better is LeBron James. He's the one who's been playing better, and he's been playing better defensively. And so, look, I'd love to see this level of LeBron James competing defensively in big lineups to see if these big lineups could work. Because the version of LeBron we, we've been seeing defensively in the big lineups has not come close to the dude who drew, what, three or four charges over the last two games? Mm-hmm. Like and blocks and guy, steals. Yeah. And blocks and steals and closing out like a madman again and deciding, yeah, you know what? I'm going to just shut you down on the perimeter. Like, you're not driving by me. Sorry. I don't care if you're Jalen Green. And you're literally 20 years younger than me, seemingly, right? Or if you're Michael Porter, or not Michael Porter, Kevin Porter Jr. Any of these dudes who sort of like, and these dudes, they had the big eyes for LeBron. They're just like, oh, that's LeBron James up there. That's Mount Olympus. Let me try to scale this mountain real quick. And I'm going to go after this, this, well, this guy. And LeBron was just like, oh, all right, you want to challenge me? Then I'm up for for the challenge. And getting back to Russ, though, the spacing has helped. And it has helped Russ that he's only, I think, Pete, over the last two games, and Dwight sat out, right? But over the last two games, he's played maybe like two minutes in a too big lineup, like out of all the shifts that he's played. And so... The room to get to the rim has has been there. And Russ has navigated lineups with a single big on the floor for pretty much his entire career. He can play with a dunker spot, with a single dunker spot big. It's in beneficial the game. if they can get downhill with him. And again, I, I don't want to act like DJ has been has outplayed Dwight, right? And not to bring to bring it back to that, but that's like a guy that can get up in the air is super valuable next to Russell Westbrook for a number of for a number of reasons. Now, there were some plays where Christian Wood took it right into DJ's chest. Uh Sengun did the same thing where yeah. there were certain plays where DJ defensively it's like, "All right, if you can't stop that play, what can you do on defense?" And that's probably the ultimate tip in favor of Dwight. But like I like the theoretical Dwight Howard defensively he just hasn't quite been that so far and i think that we're trending to bring it back to russ it's so like there have been other teams that have figured out kind of the westbrook conundrum of like oh we have to space the floor and have guys around him that do that so like i don't feel like we need to go through this process like oh let's put two bigs next to next to russell westbrook and see what happens but it's what we're doing and if that's if we trend back toward that AD at the five smaller lineups because it's much better for Russ and we get much more out of that, then it's going to be a DJ or Dwight type of question. And so that's forgive me, I'm probably three steps ahead of where the team is in the process of this right now. But I do think that it's a discussion to be had going forward And that aerial, that vertical thread is super important within that. And, and I, so Pete, I think they've had plenty of those discussions over the summer, especially. And I think what the the reason the re, the thing that usually happens with this is that it works itself out to some degree whether one of the guys plays yes. better right yes. or one of the guys is banged up and so i think what you try to do you try to keep a head coaches try to keep as many options on the table without burning them as they can so that they can go to the ones that work the best uh, once once things play out 
I, George, I get that. We just don't know. We just don't know enough of what which ones work best yet. You know what I mean? Like we're so new and so early. And then again, we can always go to the LeBron and AD pick and roll at the end yeah. of, of games, right? So, but we're such a new team, and maybe we have more time than I think we do to figure that out. But when we don't know what our first pitch is, kind of like building around what our second and third ones are. I don't know. The order of it seems off to me. Yeah, and that's and that's so. Here, let me let me end this this point of this discussion by saying that when they won the title, like their first pitch into up until the last series was still the big group, but their best pitch and they knew it was a small group and, and Vogel knows that. So I still, I still think eventually they get to that. And then the Westbrook with a spaced floor is just clearly going to work better as it does for LeBron on offense. As long as LeBron's willing to do that extra work on the defensive end, which he's shown so far that he's willing to do. But the last, the one thing I want to say about Russ, so 16 attempts in the paint and it speaks to the, it, all of this stuff is related. But he was efficient on them. I, he missed a couple late, but still, he, he made nine buckets uh, in the paint. And all but two of them were at the rim. He had a pull-up uh, in transition and then a different kind of pull-up shot. And then he also got to the free-throw line because Houston had to wrap him up. So eight free-throw attempts plus 16 attempts in the paint for Russ is a great recipe. And it didn't deter from LeBron either. So that's that's where I – that's kind of when we were envisioning how it could work well with Russ – I actually didn't think we'd have as many games like this early in the season. I thought this was going to take a little more time to get to that uh, that level of Russell Westbrook, but that was just that was encouraging to me. All right, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to talk about some things that I'm seeing, some trends that I, I see developing. TickPick should be your first choice to buy basketball tickets because they save fans money by never charging any service fees ever. TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner for the Laker Film Room Podcast and Blue Wire Network. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So Russ attacking the paint, like Mike was talking about before the break, there are a lot of there are a lot of lineups or events or elements of this team that are very extreme. So that idea of, of scoring more points in the paint than any other team in the NBA, I get that we were playing the Rockets. We're way bigger than them, even when we're small. And when we're small, we're spaced enough to really take advantage of that. But we're not the only team that's played the Rockets. Right? And so that that 
So putting up a number of that nobody else has done in the NBA is notable in context with there was another stretch against Cleveland, who's a pretty good defensive team, where we were like 21 for 24 from the field over the course of 13 minutes with Mello and Bradley on the floor. There's these stretches where we get white hot deep and these extreme lineups where it's like you go to cleaning the glass and it's they're in the hundredth percentile if you put the big three next to two shooters or something like that right there's so many things on very extreme ends that's fueled by and led by the extremity of the pace the pace of that game last night and especially since we've gone small and but even with lebron out since the beginning of the year the pace that we're playing at is crazy and someone brought up recently the idea of like the Lonzo Chino Hills team I don't know if you're familiar with Grinnell the division three team that plays just this crazy style of basketball will no NBA team would ever get to that extremity but there's I've talked so much about this idea of a style of basketball and the pace is so fundamental to that that we're starting to see some things pop out that's like Wow, that's that's really on the extreme end, even statistically. Are you seeing similar things? I am. The interesting thing is, at its most fundamental level, the Lakers are built around three guys who love to get to the basket and, and who can score around the basket as well as any three players on any team, maybe ever. Like, it's just sort of, they're, they're that geared towards getting baskets in the restricted area that filling out the lineup with the right types of players around them can create that same sort of enhances that multiplier effect. And, and, and so Pete, you've talked a lot over the years about, especially after the Lakers got Anthony Davis, that it's just like they're building strength on strength on strength. But in order to actually optimize those strengths or to have those strengths actually work in the way that you envision them, you have to grease the wheels for those things to actually happen. And playing fast, I think, is helping with that because you're putting the defense in situations where they are not set, they are not loaded up against you, and they are not in the best position in order to take away the paint. And so... The pace is one part of that, but the other part of that is the sort of spaced floor, and mellow is key to that. I think for all of that, like, two-shooter stuff, mellow is the shooter that matters here the most. I'm guessing you could put, like, I don't know, Monk and Ellington out there next next to those three guys, but odds are you're not going to get the same results from this. And it's because Melo has to be guarded by a big player. Melo's a big dude. The fact that you could shoot like that and be a presence on the interior, that's something that a Monk and Ellington can't do. Yeah. And so look, for for all the like, oh man, like let's not get too ISO Melo here. He had a couple of big baskets down the stretch against Houston. Like, oh, like Jay Sean Tate, Sorry, buddy. Like, you're just too small for me on this one, one possession. Oh, Kevin Porter. Sorry. Sorry, man. That's it, right? It's, it's, he's not the first option where he's going up against the other team's best wing defender. But, and when he's isolating, he's going up like, oh, yeah, you're in space against Nemanja Bielica. Yes, throw Carmelo Anthony the ball, right? Like, you're being, you're posting up Landry Shamit. Yes. 
throw throw Carmelo Anthony the ball. And so not Mike, not having to rely on Melo going against their best, I think is super helpful in his ability to win those type of possessions. You guys are have laid out the groundwork now for me to go into a, a mini thing about how guys that can only shoot end up decreasing in value exponentially in the postseason. Go for and it. so and this is something that I've been, you know, I've been harping on for a while, but and not to pick on a Kyle Korver or JJ Redick or guys like this, but who you can basically just face guard and just stick to and they're out. They're out of the possession. Now, can that help other players on the floor to an extent, but not enough to make up for the fact that you can go at them on defense. So now mellow good teams can go at on defense. So that is one part of the equation, but they absolutely cannot just face guard him uh, like that on that side of the court. And therefore it makes him a much bigger threat. And also to the fact that he's six, nine, which you had also just mentioned, and he's got the quick release. So he is, there is no obvious solution to the point Pete, where our text thread, when they were, they kept going to the LeBron and AD screen roll with mellow spaced out. It's like, well, I don't, I don't know what you do about this. It's a cheat code. <laughs> and like yeah. we, Houston played great. We barely paid attention for the uh, good middle part of that game on defense and went shot for shot for them. And Darius, this has been something that we've done a few times now where it's like, oh, we play the first three quarters and now in the fourth quarter, just high screen and roll, stop it. And nobody's been able to so far. We haven't played a good team, of course. That, and, but And this kind of started in that fourth quarter of the Phoenix game where we went with, Le- with LeBron at the five and they took their foot off the gas, right? But ever since then, whenever we've decided like, oh, we're just going to go to this cheat code, we've done it and it's been very, very tough to stop. It is hard to stop because there's only so many ways that you can defend a pick and roll when it's LeBron James who is the decision maker. And so one of the key elements of this is that we thought it was going to be like Russ maybe doing more pick and roll ball handling with with Anthony Davis. But what it's really ended up going back to is, nope, it's going to be LeBron James who is orchestrating offense. And Mike was probably the one who was hammering this point the most during the offseason, basically saying like, look, you can get Russell Westbrook and he can eat all the innings you want during the regular season. But when it's winning time, when it's winning time, you know who's going to have the ball? It's LeBron James, right? He's the one who's, who's going to be making decisions. And so, look, did I not like some of the closing game possessions where LeBron wasn't looking to turn the corner or they didn't get screens up high enough on the floor and then the screening angles were poor and then they're icing the screen and now it's a LeBron ISO? Like, sure, none of that stuff was, was great. Did I like it? when it was skipped past to Russell Westbrook and it's sort of just like, okay, well, Russ is the one fire firing up a three. No, I didn't like that either. But guess what? When it came right down to it, the Lakers were still able to say, we're going to get a quality look pretty much every time down because either LeBron James is just going to say, well, I'm just going to go into the post. Like you ISO me and I'm just going to go down there and, oh, turn around jumper. I guess we're up seven now. Or even when they switch, right? Like when they switch, it's LeBron going, oh, AD, you've got David Nwaba on your yes. back. Here's a deep post seal. There's a little bump, jump hook. Let's do it again. Houston timeout. Yeah. To get back to the point that I was going to make is there's only so many ways to defend this. Two games ago, you heard one of the players, and I can't remember who it was. It might have been LeBron, but they were talking about how they put Melo in strong side corner. Well, guess what? You put Melo in strong side corner, you can't. You can't help at all on that. Yeah, you can't dig down on the ball handler for a strip. Yeah. 
Okay, so great. You could put Melo in strong side corner, and that creates its own sort of like X's and O's issues that you have to account for. You put Melo in weak side wing, and that's the tag man. Like, how do you tag there when it's LeBron coming off of a screen? This is where Russ's inability to shoot, he is the most interesting guy because you can tag with Russ's man and maybe try to get away with it because that guy is going to be able to fully engage on the tag and then close out short. Belly right. to belly. And to explain the tag, if, if you're not familiar, it's when Anthony Davis is rolling to the basket, Russ's defender would come off of him and get belly to belly, chest to chest, right? And so completely leave Russ. And there was an open three that Russ missed as a result of that. And Darius, just important to mention here too, that LeBron will not miss when the pass is open. So like, that's the other thing. If it, like He's if throwing the darts, defender Mike. doesn't, yeah, it's like, it's going right to the shooting pocket. That dude's an archer and he is just throwing darts. But- if Russ's man is low man, right, which is not the tag man, it, when Russ's man is low man, you hear Frank Vogel talk post game about low man collisions and, and how he wants the low man to basically, you need to get your nose in there and you need to start challenging at the basket and you need to be there and trust that the people around you are going to help you. They're going to rotate back out and they're going to be where they're supposed to be. If Russ's man is low man, guess what? Russ is being guarded by a guard. Normally the weakest defender, right? Like, and that's why he was going at guys in, in isolation because he's like, well, you're too small. But in late game situations, when Russ is off the ball, yeah, guess what? If your low man is some six foot three dude who is guarding Russell Westbrook, then you've got a problem as well because if the tag man isn't going to be there and now low man is help responsibility on Anthony Davis, that's where the cheat code idea comes in, Pete. It's that the the Lakers are skewing, they're, they're able to put players in certain positions on the floor that optimize still LeBron and AD in ways where it makes them just harder to guard when they're executing with any sort of precision. And the biggest biggest question mark, and this will be a storyline throughout the season, is how can they optimize Russell Westbrook within that? Because he is the most obvious person to pull attention away from to help solve pro- some of the problem of, well, you have to hedge on LeBron, you got to go over the screen on LeBron, you've got to account for Anthony Davis on the roll, and you've got Carmelo Anthony perhaps on the weak side or st- strong side corner, depending on how the, how the, um, how the defense is positioned. Russ is the most obvious guy, Mike, where it's like, I'm going to help off of him. And that idea of him being matched up against that 6'3 guard on the other team or the other team's point guard, we saw a play of him in the dunker spot off of a LeBron AD pick and roll. And it was funny. I I rewatched the play and we had just gotten the ball sideline out of bounds. And that's a time where if you're going to run a set play, it's when you've got just a little bit of time to talk about it. You've got your play by principle part of the playbook where it's like you got the defensive rebound, you're running, trying to get that fast break. You don't get that. You don't have enough time to run a set play in those situations. But if you've got it sideline out of bounds, you're like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And so LeBron, faked the attack to the right on the pick and roll and he used the pick and roll and goes right and then rescreens going left and ad was on the same page so i almost guarantee you that's what they talked about in that sideline out of bounds and in doing that russ 
he like AD set a seal screen for, and Russ, who was in the dunker spot, curls around and gets a left-handed layup as a result of that. And we were texting each other like, oh, did you see that play? Because it was a way of that's a way of like Russell Westbrook is a big is a big man. That's kind of a way of framing that of. Well, is he a center? No, but if you put him in the dunker spot, Mike, against a guy who's 6'3", you're not pulling him off of the three-point line. You can't leave him because he is going to wreck shop around the basket, and he is a threat around there. And so it was one of the first like, oh, what does Russ do in these circumstances? That's a good option. I was really excited about that play. Yeah, I. so as you're describing that, a moment of the game occurred to me that I noticed from my seat, I don't know if it came out on the broadcast. And so a lot of times I'm watching the action live and I'll kind of glance down to check replays on the broadcast. So that's why it's great to get texts from you guys sometimes because you'll see something that I didn't see. And then I might see something that you didn't see. And it was after one of the LeBron dunks and West and like, so, you know, when after a big LeBron dunk and the other team calls a timeout and everybody goes to their respective huddles and there's a buzz in the building, like there's this energy, there's this vibe and nothing like it. And, and Russell Westbrook loves those kind of moments. And, but he's a, a lot of the times in his past, like in Washington, in Houston, certainly in OKC, he's the guy that is doing those types of moments because now they happen sometimes for a Kevin Durant, you know, fade away jumper or a hardened step back three. But more often than not, those are, those are after a, a massive show of force that like to really get the building popping. And so the way that I'm, I hope I'm explaining this properly, but basically LeBron does that more than most guys. And for Russ to be on the floor with LeBron doing it, there's a certain acceptance, I, I think, which is part of that whole thing we talked about this summer of he's the guy that Russ can then buy into really. And like, he wants to be a part of that. He wants to be a part of the buzz that LeBron is creating. He wants to assist that. So and I, I, I don't, again, this is a bit of a non sequitur, but I just think that's a, a significant no, thing. Uh, to to note about why Russ is going to want to buy in to LeBron still having the ball more and still being the one that's initiating because like it's fun it's fun especially when you can play a role in that Pete I'm not going to give a bunch of thoughts about that play because I think I'm going to write about it so I don't want to step on my own work (laughs) later I do think it was an, an important play and I do think that it's one of those things though that the Lakers are showing that they have showing that they have this in their bag is important. Just like showing a few games ago where Russ set seven ball screens that they have that in their bag and that they can go go to it. I do not think they're going to do this stuff every game. I don't actually think it's important that they do it every game. I think it's important though that they sort of show that they're capable of doing it. And I know that that's going to frustrate some people like why don't they do this every time? It's because doing it every time is one of those things where, no, like, because we got other stuff that we need to do. It's also dependent on the defense, right? Like, yeah. if they're going to blitz LeBron, that's different than if they're in a drop, which is different than if they're going to switch. And we need to have a game plan for all for of those all situations. Of every yeah. situation, you need a counter to every situation. And you need to be able to have your base thing that you can go to regardless of what team teams are doing that's going to work. And you know what? Sometimes that's not the glorious look at the beautiful game X's and O stuff. Sometimes that's just my dude is better than you and we're going to isolate him and he's going to make a shot. Like playoff basketball a lot of times comes down to exactly that. It's my dude is better than your dude. What are you going to do about it? Right? Oh, nothing. And now you've got LeBron James at the end saying, and I wanted my damn respect too. 
right? Because it, and in the end, it's because he took his respect, just like Anthony Davis did. And so much of what we see this season, I think, is going to be them finding that right balance and that alchemy that we've talked about a ton in how do we actually make this work together? And was it against a great team? It wasn't against a great team. But seeing LeBron as a closer, seeing Russ over the course of the game multiply, 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 like, oh, he's at 20-something points now. Seeing AD at the foul line, basically like, oh, if he makes these, he's got 27 points too. Russ already has 27 points. LeBron's got 28, and it's sort of just like, okay, well, they are figuring something out for this specific mm-hmm. game. And whether or not that's going to translate to the next game, I'm not sure yet. We are seven games into the season, Mike, but... It was great to sort of see LeBron take hold and all of these guys have their moments all in the same game. And that's sort of my takeaway from this one, at least. Here's the point of the pod where I say we could spend a whole different podcast on this this specific topic. But just look at Anthony Davis's numbers for his three seasons with the Lakers. And this season looks a lot like his first season. So it's except more blocks, more rebounds and. Let's see, the field goal percentage is about the same other than the three-point shot. Like, the three-pointer is not going down, but everything else, he's looking basically like bubble Anthony Davis. And that is what we we kept underscoring. All Westbrook, 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 and LeBron and Westbrook. How are they going to work? But if AD is that guy, I'm, I think that might be more important than how LeBron and Russ really figure out the thing. So it just it gets lost somehow uh, in it, and I just want to throw the AD part out there. I'm so glad you brought that up because that domination on the interior, which is really AD is the captain of that on this team with Russ and LeBron providing some of the perimeter components of that, you know, the the driving attacks on, on the rim. But AD and our ability to attack the basket gives us such a high floor. We only shot six for 25 from three in that game. We scored 119 points while making six threes. That's hard to do. And you have to be able to really dominate in the paint to do that again against a bad team. Uh, but it gives us such a high floor where once that jumper does, like, I don't think AD is going to shoot 16% from three on the season. I don't. I know Russ is very low too, and obviously he's not a great shooter, but these are guys who are career low 30s shooters. If we get to low 30s three-point shooting with this type of paint attack on top of it, we, we could really be onto something. Tomorrow's episode, I want to get into the weeds with you guys about defense. And uh, I think there's all these puzzle pieces that are fragments here and there and things that are good, things that are bad, things that can kind of merge the talents of the players with 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 the scheme uh, really looking forward to that and we'll discuss that and more tomorrow on the laker film room podcast james has got it in low to mikhail mikhail wants to turn his double team just pass out of front broken up by worthy tips to magic worthy dies on his belly magic scores there's magic got it magic fires it's good they win lakers win the game the lakers win the game three seconds left that next to the winner it's on the way down Sixteen rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed: a Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston, of all places. Are you kidding me, Kobe? Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. 
Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant, picked up by Bell. There's the move, two, one, miss it! It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant, yes! And that was a little tap to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.